welcome to No More Shame, the podcast dedicated to breaking the shame narrative and healing the wounds of shame that hold us back. In each episode, Dr. Megan Clunan will be exploring the tools of psychology and the truths of Christian theology to help you live free from shame and in the reality of your true identity. So let's dive into today's episode. Yes, welcome to this week's podcast. So this week, we're going to keep the conversation going on shame's one-liners. What are those one-liner statements, those one-sentence statements that shame likes to tell us that are essentially like those arrows that shoot into our heart and our mind and our soul and that wound and hurt and injure and really just kind of keep us trapped? Last week, we talked about one, and so I'd I'd ask you to check that out when you get the chance. Um, This week, we're going to be talking about another one, and this week's, the one-liner is, you can't tell anyone what you're dealing with. That is a shame statement. That is a one-liner that shame will shoot into your heart and your mind and your soul over and over and over again. It is one that I've heard in my own life. It is one that others have shared they hear too often, and it's one that's been kind of this theme for those I've talked with regarding shame in general. Individuals that have listened to this podcast and have shared their thoughts and their feelings and their um, understandings of some of the things that I'm sharing, this is one thing I hear from them. This is one thing they're saying. They're like, you know what? I hear you, and I see this, and I know it's in this space, but I really don't even know. I don't think I can tell anybody what I'm dealing with. I don't think I can open that up. And so... Let's unpack this. We're going to unpack what this is really telling us. We do not need to believe this. This is a lie. That's what shame does. It lies to us because it's lying essentially about our value, about our dignity, about our worth, about our identity. So what's it really telling us? Why is this a problem? And then we're going to look at three things we can do as the antidote to this sentences, to this one-liners harmful influence in our lives. So here we go. Let's do it. The quote again, you can't tell anyone what you're dealing with. We hear this when we've been wronged or maybe we've wronged someone, right? Um, so we've been injured, we've been wronged, but you know, it's too, it's too shameful. I can't tell anybody what somebody has done to me or I do something and I can't open that up. It's too painful, too shameful, too scary. And so we just tuck it away, but it doesn't go away, does it? It just grows And we're always aware of it. It's almost like we think if we tuck it away, it won't have influence in our life anymore. It's not true, though. It's not true at all, is it? And I I know you know this because I know we all, as human beings, we've experienced this to some degree. We hear this when we have faced harm from others or when we are the, the one, maybe, that has made the mistake or created harm in our own lives. Like, I can't tell anybody what I did. I can't tell anybody what's happened. We hear this when we're too afraid to admit our limitations or our weaknesses, our temptations or our struggles. And to be fair, no question, I get it. I am a human being. Human nature's inclination is not to lean into the pain of our shortcomings, but to run away from them. But that's exactly what we do not need to do when it comes to specifically whatever it is shame is referencing when it says, don't tell anybody what you're dealing with. And it can be a million different things. They don't always have to be big things either, right? I think sometimes we're like, oh yeah, of course, the big the big things we would never want to share. But that's not really what we get trapped in. And more than not, we, we actually address the bigger things. It's the littler things. It's like a thousand paper cuts that actually keep us trapped and keep, trapped and, and keep us wounded. Sometimes they're small though, right? These, these littler things, like, like when we feel like we just keep failing at keeping it all together as a parent or as a spouse or as a student or as a leader, 
we look around and we see others and we think, man, I can't let them know that I'm struggling because they look like they've got it all together. They're trusting me to keep it together. I need to be the one that does that. I can't tell them things are hard right now. And it can be doubly hard when you feel like you've built a reputation among those around you. I know this. I've been there, but I've seen it. I've seen it from leaders. I've seen it from pastors. You know, they think, you know, the people around you, right? They're thinking, man, this person's got it all together, that you're the one everyone else goes to for support because you're great. You're awesome. I've seen this in counselors' lives and peer supervision and a group of counselors and they're sharing. This is the pressure. But real life is also happening. And to be fair, it's not a bad role to play. It's great to have that kind of influence in people's lives. But if you're playing at the cost of honesty, if you're playing it even when things aren't great, life is hard, you are disappointed, you are hurting, then this is actually really unhealthy. It is isolating and it is debilitating. It creates loneliness. At its most extremes in our lives, it can cause a mental breakdown or worse. And it's wild, honestly, when something like that happens, right? Because when something like that happens, you know that there was this, this deeper, bigger thing around an individual where mental breakdown or worse has taken place when everyone around that person says something like, oh, we were totally caught off guard. We never saw this coming. That is so sad. It is so sad. We are not meant to live as islands. We are not meant to live in isolation, but in relationship. And yet when we believe the line, man, you can't let anybody know what you're dealing with. That's exactly what's going to happen. I think sometimes this, you can't tell anyone line. It's extremely powerful in the lives of those who care for others in a variety of ways. Because we're the ones that are supposed to care for others, right? Like we're the ones leading others, taking care of others. Um, and so as a result of that, like we, I think the it slips in. Like no one can know you're struggling. Again, no one can know this. And maybe those you care for, teach, lead, counsel, doctor, minister to, parent, okay? To be fair, they can't know. Maybe they shouldn't know because they got a lot that they're dealing with already. Or we don't want to muddy the waters of the roles and responsibilities. And I understand that there's a healthy boundary there that we should indeed be keeping. But the all too common problem with they can't know I'm struggling is that it often turns into nobody can know that I'm struggling. Especially if we do not have healthy friendships and relationships outside of our duties. If all the friendships and relationships you have are dutiful in nature, that's not healthy. Counselor, if all the friendships and relationships you have revolve around you providing counsel to them, that's not healthy. Pastor, minister, if all the relationships around you involve you ministering to everyone around you at all times, that's not healthy. Teacher, educator, if all the relationships around you revolve around just leading, edifying, encouraging, and teaching everyone around you, that's not healthy. It's easy to fall into, I know, especially in the helping professions, caregivers, parents, leadership roles, ministry, you name it, but that's not healthy. We need relationships that empower and edify us as we do to others. To not have relationships like that um, or time to cultivate relationships like that says we may not just be unhealthy though, and I'm going to push a little harder into this space. We might not just be unhealthy. We might actually be codependent. What is codependency? This is when a person with um, 
person struggles to feel value in their person on an emotional or physical or psychological level unless they're actually taking care of somebody else, unless they're supporting someone else, okay? Typically at an extreme level, meaning they know that they're being taken advantage of, they know they're burning out, they know they're wearing down, but they keep on giving, they keep on supporting, they keep on pouring out. Oftentimes, codependent individuals confuse caretaking and sacrifice with loyalty and love. And there's a time for caretaking, there's a time for sacrifice, but there's a time for it. It is not the same thing as loyalty and love. Typically, there is no satisfaction or happiness in life outside of doing other things for other people. It's like, I don't even know how not to be this kind of caretaker. I'll tell students actually that are in the counseling profession, um, you know, I often have this conversation in one of the very first classes I, I give them and I say to them, if you're in this field, if you're going into this field, this field of counseling, to feel like you matter, then it's already time for you to get out. It's beautiful to follow your calling. It's beautiful to follow your passion. It's beautiful to want to do what you're doing in your field and to feel empowered from that. That's a great thing. But if you need that to tell you you matter, especially if it's a helping profession, this is going to be really unhealthy really quickly. And there are so many ways that this can destroy you, not just professionally, but also personally. But the reality is, friends, we all struggle. We all struggle. I wish I could yell all. <laughs> okay, we all struggle. We are all limited. We all fall short of excellence at times. Scripture reminds us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is perfection. We are not that. We need to share where we're struggling. We need to share what we're dealing with. But if we listen to shame's one-liner and don't share it with someone, we can trust. That's important. We get trapped in it. We get trapped in the shame of it. It's through the beautiful gift of conversation and eye contact that shame loses its power. Being able to sit across from someone, look at them, let them look you in the eye and just share. Share, you know what? Something like, I don't think I'm doing great at being a mom these days. There's too much of my time that's been taken for other things. And I know I need to give my kids more attention, but we're just running everywhere. I don't know what to do. Even if the person that you're talking to can't really do anything about it other than sit with you in that, it's a gift that lifts the burden of you being in this alone. It's someone that can help you think through things. Just because you can't figure out a solution does not mean someone else cannot. There are certain things in this world that by far I cannot explain. I cannot explain how electricity works, but an electrician can, right? I cannot explain how gravity sustains earth in the atmosphere. I, I do not know. I have no idea how that works, but someone does in similar fashion. There are things that happen in our lives that at times we're like, I, I don't know how to think differently about this. I do not know how to explain this. I do not know how to work through this. I do not know how to deal with this, but there may be someone else that can. And even if they cannot, again, at minimum, you do not have to carry this by yourself. To talk to someone and to tell them, you know, I hate that I struggle with my anger or perfectionism or pornography or doubting my faith or time management or whatever. To tell someone is to allow the secrecy of the burden to be broken. Alcoholics Anonymous has this quote. It says that we are only as sick as the secrets we keep and shame is committed to keeping us sick. 
If that's true, the opposite is easily seen then. What is the opposite potentially? It is we are as healthy as the truth we are able to share. That's a beautiful thing. And again, scripture reminds us the truth will set you free. Jesus is that truth. We need to invite him into this as well. We're going to talk about that in a moment as one of the antidotes. But in that realm right now, as for the Christian, please know pretending or performing like we're already perfect in Christ is shame-based living. We are not already perfect. It's this idea of already, but not yet. Like we're justified, meaning in God's eyes, we are righteous and we are holy and we are whole immediately as soon as Jesus comes into our life right now. This is true, but we are also still in the process of being sanctified. There are things that do need to be worked out in our lives. So I'm already perfect in God's eyes, but yet not fully done in the process of that of that grace, of that kind of movement towards holy perfection. And even though I am not done with that, not perfect, I am perfectly loved. Because once in Jesus, again, I am justified, even if not fully sanctified yet. We're not done being renewed, my friends, until he calls us home, until this life is over. And the world doesn't need perfect Christians. I think sometimes as Christians, we can fall prey to this in a a unique way. Like, well, I don't want to shame the name of Jesus. You cannot do that. Your issues, your imperfections, your struggles, your sins do not taint him and his holiness. That's not possible. We just need to read the stories and in, in the gospels about his life and what that looked like when the unclean came to him. When the unclean came to Jesus, their uncleanliness did not make him unclean. His holiness made them clean. So he's not worried. He's not afraid. We don't have to protect that. So as Christians, we need to understand the world doesn't need perfect Christians. We don't need to admit that or, or not admit that we're dealing with stuff. It needs Christians that they admit that they need Jesus to show the world. This is what you too can have. You don't have to do this all by yourself in your own willpower. So what can be be done then to begin to rewrite this one liner, this one liner of, you know what? Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what you're dealing with. One, we need a change of perspective. We need a change of mind. That is what is needed here. When we become aware of our imperfection, instead of thinking of it as the thing, the struggle, the mistake, the failure, the sin, the whatever that now nobody can know about, instead of that, when we become aware of an imperfection, it's actually an opportunity not to run away, but to be now aware of where next God is actually choosing to work in our lives. He's pulling it to our attention. This is grace. This is a gift. This is a great thing that you see, hey, you're not quite like Jesus just yet. You're not quite there just yet, but God's not done with you. He pulls to your attention those things that are imperfect, not to shame you, not to harm you, not to make you believe you are less than, but to show you, hey, this is somewhere I need to be a part of too. Hey, I know if you keep on this track, it's going to create destruction. And I'm pulling your attention to it because I want that too. Because I love you too much to let you have and hold this. Uh, Christine Kane, she wrote a book called Unashamed. And in her book, she has this quote that says, Until we let the light in, the truth, we will remain hindered and unable to fulfill our potential. And this is so true because why 
When we live in that space of shame, again, our world gets really small. We live in isolation. We don't let people in and we don't let Jesus in to create healing. Not only does that happen, we don't, that not living in our full potential component. Yeah, that's a real thing. Not only not living into that because we're living in this really small space and world of isolation, we also end up creating harm. And I know I've said this before, but it's kind of worth saying again, but shamed people shame people. And so if we give off the persona that I've got it all together and I'm not dealing with anything hard and life is totally peaches and and rainbows and unicorns, (laughs) um, nobody will approach you with what's really going on in their life. Or they're going to think, okay, if they've got it together, I got to get it together too. So I actually can't tell anybody either. And I'm going to kind of keep this silent too. People... People need role models that lead the way. And I know it, fa- it feels counterintuitive, right? To be like, okay, a role model would tell you where they're struggling. A role model would tell you where their weaknesses are. Yeah, actually, one that has Jesus would. One that understands I am fully loved with intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. And my struggle does not define me, but he does. There's freedom in that. Others need to see that. And freed people, free people. And that's the kind of people we want to be. So one, we need to change our mind, our imperfection, our struggle. It is not something that needs to shame us, but something that simply needs to point us to the fact that God is pulling something to our attention that says, I want in on that too, because I love you and let's deal with this. Number two, we need community. I've said it before and I'll say it again. To do this life by yourself is pathological, Which means it's crazy. We're not meant to be all by ourselves all the time. We're made for relationship from relationship. Examples of relationships. What what could that look like? Friendships, mentorship, counseling, the local church, small group, you name it. There's many ways to get plugged in. We've got to choose to do it. Yeah, it's going to feel awkward at first. I know. I've been there. I had a season in my life where I was like, nobody's coming in on this, okay? It was a really lonely season though. And it was really weird and awkward and uncomfortable to begin to start to go to a small group or to start to try to develop and cultivate friendships that are trusting and loving and life-giving and let them in so they could be that for me. And I've seen it with other people. I see it in counseling. The first few sessions with a a new client that's really never done this before. They're like, what is this all about? This is weird. I don't even know you. And I'm I'm expected to kind of like share my life with you. Yeah, (laughs) you are. Okay. But then it's beautiful and so life-giving in the end because we're not alone. And go figure, we're not made to be. And so our mind and our body and our soul react in health. I can guarantee you that although what you're struggling with or dealing with might be unique to you and your story, once you start sharing it, even in the littlest bits with people, you'll soon learn it may be unique to you and your story in the sense that this isn't something that you've gone through before or, or you've, you've dealt with in any other area or, or so on and so forth. But it is not unique to humanity. You are not the only one dealing with whatever it is you're dealing with. I guarantee you. So we need community, cultivating that, finding that. And then number three, we shame shame. This is the third way to do this. And what do I mean by that? Well, so just this past week, there was an event that I emceed on Moody's campus, Dr. Julie Slattery. Uh, She's a phenomenal clinical psychologist. She's the president and co-founder of an organization called Authentic Intimacy. 
Um, it's an organization dedicated to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. And so she had come to campus and she was speaking to our students. And then we did a question and response time. It was really amazing. Um, but one of the things she said is she said, your wounds can become your weapons against shame if you let them. This is the idea of shaming shame, meaning the very things that hurt us or that hurt for us to acknowledge can actually become a weapon against shame if we don't run from them, but begin to deal with them and specifically do so out of isolation, like outside of that. Don't do it all by ourselves. It's just not possible. So our wounds can actually become our weapons against shame. We all long to be known, my friends, to know that others care for our whole person, But we can't know that that is something that is happening or something that we are experiencing if we never let others in. The thing I often say is we all want to be loved, but to be loved means we have to be known. And to be known means we have to open up with the things that we're dealing with. To be known fully, you could be known in part, but there's always going to be a part of you that understands you're only loved in part. And you weren't meant to be loved in part. You're meant to be loved fully, wholly. I know, again, this is scary, but if we're living in shame, we're already living a fear-filled life. You're already afraid. The fear shame puts on you will tell you that no one will care. That's just not true. There are people in your life that will care. I guarantee it. There's a local church in your community that will care. There's a counselor you could set time to talk with that will care. Do not believe the lie. But ultimately, and this is the last big piece, it's not really a number, it's kind of the wrap up. There is a God that cares. He cared so much that he wanted a personal relationship with you. He made a way to you through his son, Jesus, to pursue you, to tell you, I see you, I hear you, I've made you with intention. I've made you for a relationship with me. I know your struggles and shortcomings and I'm not put off. I want to be in your life. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And it goes on from there. I think sometimes we memorize that first part as as children and like that's the, the part that we stick with. But it goes on from there. And it says, I want to make sure we get it right. <laughs> it says, Matthew 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes, this is 18, the one who believes in him is not judged. You can come to him. He's not put off by whatever you're dealing with. For God so loved you that he came for you. He came for you. Whatever you you are dealing with, be it mistakes you've made, harm others have done to you, or simply the limitations of life getting the best of you. Jesus wants to be invited into those spaces for your freedom and your healing. You are not abandoned. You are not alone. And you don't have to live like it. To end today, I'm just going to read Psalm 107 as our wrap up. I think it perfectly wraps up what it's like to finally let God into our lives, into our real lives. Psalm 107, um, the little heading of it is that the Lord rescues people from many troubles. The cool thing about this whole section, and, and I want you to hear it, the troubles that the Lord is rescuing the people from in this psalm are not just troubles perpetuated on them by others or by natural disaster and the world around them. It's also troubles that they have created for themselves because there's nothing that God's like, "Mm, sorry, you did that on your own. That's on you. He's not that kind of father. 
He loves you. He wants to join you and he wants to be right there with you. And so let me read this. Psalm 107 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy is everlasting. The redeemed of the Lord shall say so. Those he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered from the lands from the east and the west, the north and the south, no matter where you are, he will gather you. And here we go. Here's the rundown, right? They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their souls felt weak within them. Then what happened? They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distresses. He also had them walk on a straight way to go to an inhabited city. They shall give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and for his wonders to the sons of mankind, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and he has filled the hungry soul with what is good. Another one, another chunk here. They were those who lived in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. Why? Not because of something random or just chance or whatever that happened to them, because they had rebelled against the word of God. They had rejected the plan of the Most High. Therefore, he humbled them. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord. In the very next breath, it says he saved them from their distresses and he brought them out of darkness and broke the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. And so they will give thanks to the Lord. Another section, fools, okay? Totally, you're doing it on your own. You've made the mistakes on your own. Fools, because of their rebellious ways and because of their guilty deeds were afflicted, their souls loathed all kinds of food. You ever been there? We've made so many mistakes. You just feel sick to your stomach. It's what this psalm is saying here. They loathed all kinds of food and they came close to the gates of death. But then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and saved them from their destruction. And they will give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and for his wonders. Another section. They are those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters. They're just doing their job, my friends. They're just working. They're just doing what they're supposed to do. But storms happen. They have seen the great works of the Lord and his wonders of the deep, for he spoke and raised. There was a stormy wind which lifted the waves of the sea. It, they rose up to the heavens and went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken person and they were at their wits end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distresses. It goes on and it says he turns rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground. This is possible, but he also turns a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. He says that the upright will see it and be glad all injustice will shut its mouth. And the last part, the very last verse, 107.43, asks a question. And so when shame comes to you, I want you to ask a question. When it tells you, hey, you can't tell anybody what you're dealing with. Read Psalm 107 and then ask this question. Who is wise? Am I wise? Because the wise one will pay attention to these things and consider the mercy of of the Lord. Another version of this says, and consider the loving kindnesses, plural, <laughs> of the Lord. Do not be fooled, my friends, by shame's one-liner, by its lie that says you cannot tell anyone what you're dealing with. It will keep you trapped. It will keep you limited. It will tell you you are all alone and you are abandoned, but you are not. God loves you. He is for you. There are people. There's his word 
You're not alone. The new one-liner that says, hey, don't tell anybody what you're dealing with. Maybe it can be new in the sense that tell people what you're dealing with. It might be hard. It might be challenging. But I'm not going to live trapped. I'm going to live free. So live free. Thank you for joining us this week. Our prayer is that through this week's topic, you have been encouraged in the truth and discovered tools for further freedom in your true identity, one created for and loved by God, one where shame has no say. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the No More Shame podcast so you don't miss next week's topic. You can also follow us on Instagram at no more shame underscore podcast for encouragement and reminders throughout the week. Join us every Monday for new episodes that will empower and equip you to live in the freedom of your true identity.